everybody. Welcome to the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend, another co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, the Pro Tour six weeks away. I can't find the perfect 80 Bolton cards. What, how do I find the perfect 80 Bolton cards and master a draft in six weeks? Help. Well, I know you've been doing a lot of drafts in the runaways queues, so I feel like you're, you're already you're getting that part down. Um, I'm not positive the perfect 80 Bolton cards exist. Maybe they do. They're there <laughs> somewhere. Okay. If, if you say so, I, um, you know, Bolton sure hero in, in flesh and blood might be the best warrior. Might not light be. Light heroes Who knows? are just OP. Everybody loves light heroes. <laughs> ah, this is how I'm going to do the rest of the podcast. You're just going to have your face buried in the prism shirt. I'm Prism now. Your your Prism. You're very mm-hmm. shadowy for Prism. It's a very shadowy Prism you're wearing. Okay, fine. I'm not Prism. You got me. You can't know outsmarting you, Michael Hamilton. There, there, there is. That is a thing that happens regularly, but <laughs> not by me. <laughs> okay, your words, not mine. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that's what the focus on this is going to be. For this podcast, where we're at for the Pro Tour, what our plans are, what we're going to look at, what we have looked at, what we haven't looked at, what we'll never look at. <laughs> and next week, we'll <laughs> come back with some hot uh, sorcery content because sorcery cons this weekend and neither Michael nor myself will be in attendance of sorcery con, but it's going to be like the first big in-person sorcery tournament. And the original plan for the podcast today was to cover the deck list from that tournament. And then we were like, oh, no, it wasn't last weekend. It's next weekend. What do we talk about? Uh, I guess flesh and blood. So uh, <laughs> here we are. Yeah. So the Pro Tours, you said six weeks away? Yeah, six weeks. Uh, that, that we got to fit so far. RTNs in the middle of this, too. Yeah, that's true. Six weeks feels like it's so far away, but like based on how preparing for my last tournaments have gone, I know it'll be here much sooner than it feels like it should be. Yeah. That's just how time works, man. Never, never stopping. We're so all fast. just slowly creeping towards that inevitable day that we'll all die and rot forever in the ground, you know? Oh gosh. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... So you were talking before about your perfect bullet 80 and how are you going to get ready for draft? So the pro tour for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure most people listening know it's split format. It's going to be day ones, three rounds of draft. And I think five rounds of CC. I thought it started CC and then draft and then it goes draft CC. Okay. I that's how they do it now. They like, yo, yes, yo, that's, yo. that sounds right. But anyway, eight total rounds each day. Three of three of them are draft, five are CC. The order doesn't really matter, in my opinion. Like, you, I guess you should know if you're going, but like, I don't think your strategy should change based on when each format is. You could, but it's like such thin margins. Like, you could say, well, if I if it starts draft, I know that better players will do better in draft, so then better players will gravitate. To gravitate towards more meta decks so i don't need to prepare as much for fringe decks but if I you're starting awesome. yeah but if you're starting cc you have to kind of prepare for the wild west of everything because people will bring like anything and everything to the first rounds of cc as we know and then they'll just filter out from there yeah that, that's fair i guess there are maybe some edges you can get if you want to spend a lot of time thinking about the meta of the order of things but that's not how i generally prefer to spend my time i just try to get the best i the best i can at draft and the best i can at cc yeah the best bolton 80 cards okay i think i'm starting with warband of bologna that's probably an easy start that's one out of 80 yeah Uh uh-huh great okay we're an 80th of the way there michael okay that's 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 progress that's progress (laughs) I was going to say, you probably know what chest you're playing, but that's actually probably not I have, true. I it don't. Depends, I it depends what version of Bolton you're playing because you can play Tunic, you can play Courage. It's probably just one of those two, maybe both. I, I've been playing with the... Uh, if you say the Radiant chest piece. Soulbound Resolve. Oh, soul yeah. Soulbound yeah. Resolve. The one that when you block, you can charge a thing. 
Yeah, and, and when you and it's I kind of want to keep playing it because stupid Pete Budensek and Majin Bay are going to be there. I'm going to bring Kano, and that card's sick in a Kano, dude. Because you charge, and then they're going to be like, "Aha, I have a Kano arcane damage." You're like, "Haha, my Soulbound always gets prevents this one damage because I've charged this turn. I get a free one spell void every turn as long as I'm charging. Eat it, Kano. Get out of here." Yeah, we sad. I I played a couple games of Kano. And uh, we were playing that matchup. And I was like, I think Talishar is broken because I, I cast my arcane damage spell and you didn't, you took one less damage than you should have. And then yeah, like the like, third, oh, or like, yeah, it's bugs. So I just manually reduce your life total to fix it. <laughs> then like the third time it happens, oh, someone, I don't remember who it was. In Michael Fung. It was yeah. Michael Fung. <laughs> Michael, he's very good at flesh and blood. He, he comes in and he's like, Soulbound resolves why it's reduced. And we're like, oh. Because as soon as you get priority on a turn, if your first action is playing a charge attack, charging is part of the cost, which means the condition for Soulbound resolve has been met. So if at any point you play your charge attack and Kano's like, I'm going to deal arcane damage to you now this turn, then it's going to be reduced by one. Yeah. So that's a sweet chess piece. I've been liking that a lot. Plus it blocks a bunch. I don't know. It's so it's so hard to know what I'm gonna play. I don't. I, I keep swapping in like 10, 15 cards every day. You know, I'm like I don't know. And then, what are you working on though? So you you so are you a Kano master now? Did you learn your sick uh, <laughs> Kano lines with uh? What's the tutory card? Lessons in lava. Lessons in lava. You learned you could lessons for lessons. I know that yeah. was a big level up for you. Yeah, so I had, I had exactly eight resources one turn as I was uh, I was casting a Lessons, and I had, maybe I had seven resources. Eight resources before I cast Lessons. Cast Lessons, go to seven resources. And I'm like, oh, what can I get here? It's, it's too soon to get my finisher. And then I think for a long time, I end up getting like Tome because I didn't have enough damage to kill him, kill my opponent. And... Um, so I get Tome, I play Tome, draw two cards. I think it's like a blue and a red, so it was just like plus one resource, and then I pitch those to Kano and end up not nowhere close to killing him. I think he lives with like 10 life. And then after the game, my opponent goes, I think you were supposed to lessons for lessons that turn. And I go back and I think about it. I'm like, seven resources. Okay, we play lessons. Or we put lessons on top, we activate Kano, we play lessons, go to three resources left. And then we can just tutor for the blazing aether. And that was like two damage over lethal. And I was like, whoa, mind blown. <laughs> lessons in lava. Get, Tutoring get for hard. lessons in lava. That's crazy. So uh, I don't think I'm going to learn Kano for the pro tour. I think it was the kind of thing where I pick him up for, you know, play five games or so and realize that I don't really want to learn Kano before the pro tour. I think. It is a pretty hard deck to play. You have to learn all the lines and then you have to also know how likely you are to go to, to basically get there. If you go for it in different spots, it's also just like a pretty high variance hero in general. I think like the skill cap's very high, but there's also a lot of variance when you're just like first cycle activating Kano, the difference between hitting your best card and your worst card is like huge. Um, the list I was playing had, I have a in it. I Kano did into I once and I was like, I don't like that. I don't want to do that ever again. <laughs> so uh, I don't think I'm registering Kano for the Pro Tour. I, I want to say I've ruled it out. Um, There is a small world where I would end up on Kano, but I I, I really don't think so. I'm like sub 1% to play Kano at the Pro Tour. Same. So. What are you greater than 1% to play at the Pro Tour then? So I actually have a pretty long list of heroes that I am greater than 1% to play. I think the leader right now is Bravo. Um, He's good. He got some upgrades, and I have the most experience playing Bravo. If the Pro Tour was tomorrow, I'd register Bravo. If Pro Tour was next week, I'd probably still register Bravo. I probably would just like stop trying other things and just lock in Bravo and work on playing some of the newer matchups, figuring out the KO matchup, figuring out the Prism matchup. Um, that said, those two decks, they've both KO and Prism, both did really well. They won a Battle Hardened recently. I am interested in learning those two decks pretty well. I think they're both on my list of potentials, and I also think that though both lists won a battle hardened since they were like kind of newer, I think both the lists are, I don't want to say 
unoptimized because they were both good good listening. unrefined unrefined some refining you can do yeah yeah there's a lot of refining to do whereas like bravo i don't think there's much more refining to do with bravo we took i took my list from the the battle harden that uh before the new cards came out cut the bad cards added the good cards the the three blue thugs from the new sets we got a Upgraded the gloves, added the new hat, and uh, that's about it for good old Bravo. He didn't really get much else to do. You can yeah. play, you can play the clash cards. I think the the blue block three clash of mind, clash of vigor. I think those would both be very solid if they swung Anathos and Titan's Fist, but no, they, they don't. They don't. They don't. They have, they cost two instead of three, and it's really important that they cost three. They don't have six power, so they can't pop things against Prism and Dromai. They do it red. Put them in they red. Do, they do it red. I. You can pummel them. <laughs> I I love the idea of Petra Blue play my Clash of Might one floating tunic at, tunic at three. Ooh, it's oh, like the combo. Watch out! Yeah, <laughs> way worse. Yeah. So, um, I think that maybe there's a world where you can build Bravo to take advantage of these things where you're not playing Titans, Fist, and Anathos. But at that point, why are you playing Bravo and not Victor? Because you get a uh, good, better cards. Crippling, Crush, and Don't Starstruck. Crit- yeah. yeah. Those, yeah, are, those are some good cards. Yeah, they, they are good cards. So that's something that is definitely worth taking some time to explore if you want to. But if I'm playing Bravo, it's probably going to be the same old boring list that i've been playing for the last six months with a couple new cards yeah so we had a team tournament over the weekend the wolf pack one day battle royale team pack tournament and so you played kano and i spent the day playing dorinthia and i think i crossed dorinthia out of my playable i'm gonna play this hero tier list and i think she might be worse than kasai i mean didn't we, did we put her did we put her above Kasai on the tier list? We did. Or? We both put her in like A tier, like second second best warrior. She might be third best warrior. There's there's still that. a lot of a lot of clunk in a lot of Dorinthia's game plans. There's a, there's a lot of uh you need you always need exactly like one blue, and then you want like one non-attack action pumpy go again card, and then you want like one secret attack reaction in case your opponent decides to block that turn, and then like you, and if you don't draw that exact ratio more turns than not, you just kind of uh, clunk. Yeah, I think my biggest issue with the Warriors in this format, except Olympia, actually, I think Olympia is probably the best at this one aspect. But my issue with the Warriors is that all their blues suck. If you look at all the Warrior blues, it's like, okay, we get Glint the Quicksilver. That's 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 pretty good if they block and turn on Reprise. You get a draw a card, get go again. That's a pretty good blue. And then you look at all the other blues and you're like, I wouldn't ever put these in a constructed deck if I could avoid it. So. Yeah, uh, I think I was, what was the new card? What was that one? I was trying out uh, Nasty Surprise. A card's uh, not very good. But I think Fatal Engagement's pretty sweet. I think Fatal Engagement and the alcohol. I think you get like nine good warrior class blues, but that's still not a lot of blues. Yeah, I, I think Fatal Engagement is probably worse than blue overpower, but maybe the cost being a two is like better than being three. But You can target Command and Conquer with it. That's that's the upside. Okay, okay. So if you're playing a three CNC warrior deck, then you can Fatal Engagement the CNC. Which that's- you should be playing some attacks in Dorinthia anyways because that way when you go in with your Dawnblade go again or whatever and your opponent is like aha I block it you can't attack with your Dawnblade a second time you go like okay here's a command to conquer they're like oh no I left a defense reaction back to in case you had a trick what do I do and then you get in the up block six and then you could fatal engagement and then you blow up their arsenal and then and then you win the game yeah I, I do kind of like the the line of pitch up blue one floating tunic at three <laughs> CNC <laughs> You got your fatal engagement waiting at Arsenal ready to get them if they block with attack actions. That that's that's almost CNC pummel. Almost. Except it's blue in a block three. True. And it does one less damage and takes one less card. But yeah. Sure, yeah. 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 But if, if if you're playing if you're playing three CNCs, that does seem like a reasonable blue. I I do like that inclusion. Yeah. And I don't know why you wouldn't play three CNCs 
this point in time in Flesh and Blood that it's a good card. Hey, there's a lot of decks that shouldn't play three CNCs. Like, name one. Prism. I think Prism should play three CNCs. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm putting CNCs in my Prism list. Okay. Okay. Uh, great. I am happy to hear that, I guess. Uh, why are you playing yeah, my, three CNCs in your Prism list? I don't know. There's not a lot of good Prism cards still. There's some, don't get me wrong, but there's just like, sometimes you just need a good old, th- and like, you want to have some poppers, and I hate Celestial Cataclysm, because every time I cast Celestial Cataclysm, I'm like, I wish I just had three more cards in Soul to transform all these angelly dudes, but instead I attacked for seven, and my figments are sitting here like idiots. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> dang, I wish I just attacked with a Command and Conquer instead, and then I'd have three more cards in Soul. But the times you don't want to attack with it, like the command and conquer then it's a red and reds are way worse than yellows in prism sure i will not argue that so celestial cataclysm is like a resource card a popper a block three and in third cycle after you're all out of your little flippy dues you can go cataclysm cataclysm and then they're dead how do you have six cards in soul and you've transformed all your angels and the game is still going you uh it happens it happens trust me on this one. just, just trust, me, trust yeah, me yeah you're the prism expert now I, that's right i actually have played a decent amount of prism games since the weekend when rob rob catton took down the battle harden with it's prism you mean game. two days ago yeah yeah i i <laughs> i've played a decent amount of prism since then yeah okay like not double digits of games but i don't know probably like six or seven okay so I, I would say that I think Prism's a real contender. I think that the deck does seem pretty good and it has kind of like two divulging plans where it can attack with its heralds or it can play auras and probably do a mix of both. But you don't have to play, like you still play uh, the, the, new, the, the new Prism weapon, Lag, Luminaris, yeah. something, something. Angel's Luminaris, sure. Luminaris again, go. <laughs> yep, that's it. <laughs> Luminaris again, go. But I think Prism is real. I think that her KO matchup is probably going to be pretty tough. And I'm not sure how you fix that. Guardian's still not great. You are better against Guardians than I expected to be, but I don't think it's a good matchup still. And I think both those two decks are going to be pretty popular at uh, the Pro Tour. So yeah, I think the deck's real, especially if you want to beat up on the Kanos because there's always a bunch of Kanos at the Pro Tour. Prism's a good choice, but I think she's pretty good into the Warriors, but she has some problems. I think I'm comfortable leaving her where I did on my tier list. I think I put her at C+, like at the very top of C, right below B tier. And I think mm-hmm. I think that's accurate. I think all the things I said about her are still hold true where the angels play on can just beat you up real good. If you don't have a lot of poppers in your deck and you're not prepared for it, it's just like 15 plus all these angels and figments flying around damage a turn consistently every turn. And if you don't have like effective tools to race it or pop it and disrupt it and just kind of go over the top of it, it, it'll, it'll grind you down. So uh, I feel pretty confident in that. I don't know. I guess I need to see how it plays into ninjas still. I don't know how that matchup looks. And I don't know how it plays into assassins either. I could see assassins being pretty rough for it, just because, especially a deck like Usury that has like a good amount of poppers and a good amount of disruption. And But maybe the angels cover you there and you kind of play more of a setup-based plan. I don't know. There's a lot of question marks to have in like her matchup spreads, but I still think... From what I've seen, there there are just enough gaps in it still that it's not like a true tier one deck, I don't think. Yeah. And until this weekend, I don't think I'd played a game of Prism with the new weapon. I was like, this I'm not really a, a big Prism person. I've usually been on the side of playing the Guardians and die to the Illusionist rather than playing the Illusionist. So I was kind of just after the first weapon came out and Prism sucked, I kind of just disregarded her. Then the new weapon came out, and I'm like, if she's good, the Prism players will figure it out and then we'll see where she's at. And 
it seems like the prison players have started figuring her out. It seems like she is actually pretty good. So I, I rated her. I don't remember where I put her, but it was pretty low on my last tier list last week. But I would definitely bump her up at least a few spots. I think she's up there with probably the bottom of A, top of B tier in my mind now. Okay, fair enough. But more more exploring to be done. Prism is not crossed off my list for Pro Tour decks. She is definitely in the above 1% category. What about this year, uh, Azalea? Have you, have you played with Judge Judy yet? Uh, I don't know if that card's very good. I think Azalea is very good. I think I am kind of unlikely to play her at the Pro Tour just because it's not... It's just not a deck that I enjoy very much. I think it's very good, but it's really important for me to enjoy the deck I'm playing. I think that... Do you think you'd enjoy Victor? Would you play Victor or yeah, Bravo? Yeah, I, I could play Victor. Why? So I think that right now, I think Bravo is better than Victor because Crippling Crush and Starstruck are very good. But that said... I have my Bravo 80 like figured out. If the Pro Tour was in two weeks, I would feel like I'd practice Bravo for two weeks and I'd probably register something very, very close to the 80 that I have right now. Victor, I do not. I do not figure it out. I have a lot of work to do to figure out the ideal Victor list. I think his hero power is quite strong if you have ways to create gold tokens. Mm-hmm. I think Test of Strength is a reasonable card. I think Trounce is not very good. But uh, maybe it's good enough in some matchups, but the fact that you have to win two clashes and if you don't, then it's just like a red three block with no other text kind of sucks. Can't even arsenal it like a D-React. I think the the Golden Sun, when you reveal it off a clash, is really strong. And his hammer is medium. I think it's okay in some matchups where you're going to win most of your clashes and quite bad against decks like KO and guardians where you're just not going to win a lot of your class or you're not going to win a high enough percent of your clashes to be worth the risk of putting minus counters on your weapon so i think that victor's going to have a kind of different matchup spread where in matchups where your hammer is really good and your test of strength and trounce are drawing a card pretty often i think victor is really really strong and i think in other matchups we gotta we gotta iron out some rough rough parts there and really figure out how to make those matchups like reasonable and so i i definitely am planning to spend some time playing victor i don't want to be it to be a situation where when old time came out all the bravo players were like why would i play this guy instead of bravo i can't play crippling crush and like obviously now old time like clearly was really really powerful probably reasonably better than bravo his weapon was way better um his hero power was better and his card pool was well i won't say any of them were as strong as crippling crush i think overall his card pool was better than bravo's card pool so maybe pulse pulse is probably that's what i was, I was, gonna, I was gonna i was gonna say pulse but you only get one pulse bravo gets three crippling crushes sure but you don't get winner's whale or crown of seeds in bravo yeah. and i think those are really the two big draws to him over any cards in your deck yeah i think stalagmite's also like which didn't even exist when Old Time first got printed, but Stalagmite was also a messed up card. Um, so I don't want it to be another situation where I'm just like disregarding him because I know Bravo is good now and I have a list of Bravo that I like and I think Bravo is really powerful. So I'm, I'm definitely spending some time to make sure it's correct to play Bravo instead of Victor. And if I find out that Victor's actually broken and the best thing to be doing, then might get a little hush about him on the podcast and tell the pro tour. But for now, I think Bravo is the best guardian. I stand by where we put him on the tier list. Okay. Okay. Hold on. I gotta, I gotta make a little diagram to prove why Victor is bad. Okay. 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 This is a, this is a unique shape. I've been learning. I've been learning shapes with Austin lately. I believe this one is called the triangle. Okay. And basically, Victor works where you could play on this edge of the triangle, you can play good disruptive attacks. And then on okay. this edge of the triangle, you could play block cards. And then on this edge of the triangle, you can play defense reactions. And you cannot okay. put all three of these in your deck and have a functional deck. You have to pick two out of three. 
And as long as you are picking two out of three of these corners on your triangle, your deck is exploitable and ultimately flawed, I feel like. And that's the biggest issue I have with it. Because you can't put the you can't put the block cards in defense reactions because then you just have no real disruption, no real pressure, and you're losing your clashes more often than that because you have all these defense reactions and block cards in your deck. And if you're putting defense reactions and disruptive attacks in your deck, just go play Bravo because you're not making gold or using the, the good block cards that he got access to. And if you're putting uh, block cards and the disruptive effects in your deck, I think those are the best builds of Victor, but I think your deck is exploitable because of the lack of dis uh, defense reactions in it. You'll just be really soft into decks like Bravo and Azalea and the Warriors that are able to kind of go over the top of it. So... So what happens if we just play all three? That's where I'm at right now in my testing. I think I think any combination of the two is exploitable, but what if you just play all three? I just don't know how you find room for that in 80 cards. And that's that's the key to solving Victor. If you can do that, then you might have a hero that is possibly as good as Bravo. Okay. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> if you can show me your Hamilton theorem to prove all I mean, three my... sides of a triangle for Victor... <laughs> My my current deck list is in the Wolfpack chat. You can see it if you want to see where I'm at with Victor right now. Not not our audience, just you, Roger. You can see where I'm at. Oh, thank you, Michael. Mm -hmm. I <laughs> but yeah, so so Victor, I would say probably lower chance they play him at the Pro Tour than Prism, but definitely more than one percent. Okay, fair enough. Uh, what about Riptide? Do you think you'll play Riptide at the Pro Tour? No. No. Okay. What about Teclo? He got he, he top eight of the AGE event, right? He's yeah, good. Yeah, he he did do that. Now you're gonna are you gonna put time in a Teclo? Be a Teclo mm, main? No. There's so many. There's so many people playing Teclo Boston on Talishar. I had no idea how much people liked this guy, but he's still everywhere. I think I, people just love bad heroes. Source me loving Bolton for the past <laughs> two years. I I think. So, so Tekla Vossen is now in my, my, where Prism was. I'm like, someone will figure it out if this guy's actually good. Yeah, right now, Probably it looks not like the, based on Talishar on February, the two hands down worst heroes in the game are Betsy and Olympia with win rates of 33% across all their matchup spreads. Uh, behind them, Tekla's kicking their ass at 41%. He's got an eight point lead over olympia and betsy uh he can never beat azalea he has a zero <laughs> a literal zero percent win rate into drum <laughs> not even one <laughs> it's actually how, how many games is the sample size <laughs> it's 23 games but still <laughs> you would think like one of those games maybe he could possibly like the drum internet disconnects or something. And he claims <laughs> yeah. victory. <laughs> nope, zero percent. Uh, I think that's the worst matchup in all of Flesh and Blood is Tech Low into Dromai, which is really amusing. He's nine percent into Fly, thirteen percent into Kano. It's interesting that he's better into Kano than Dromai and Fly. Twelve percent into Viserai and fifteen percent into Vincent. So he's got some he's got some real rough matchups. But if you're playing Kasai or Bravo, this looks like he's like the hardest Bravo counter out there. Yeah, he has the highest win rate out of all heroes into Bravo at the moment. Until we get the mangles back in our deck. Yeah. <laughs> Although you know who what hero also has the highest win rate, and it's not oh okay, it's a little close. Uh, Dromai has the highest at 57%. And then Kasai is just right trucking along behind at 55%. That, that's actually really impressive that Kasai's win rate is so good because normally when a new hero comes out, people have all these big, bad versions of the deck that doesn't win very often. So no, no offense to the people, but it's just like they just aren't tuned or refined yet. They're just like throwing ideas against the wall and seeing what works. So that's really impressive that Kasai's win rate is actually quite good. Yeah, it's like 27% into Dromai, 30% into Kano, 41% into Max, and 39% into Riptide. But aside from that, it's 50% or better into everything. How is it? Where's the Bolton? What's his win rate into Bolton? 66% into Bolt Boltons. Boltons. Bolton bros. <laughs> I'll teach you. I'll show you the way of how to beat Kasai. It's, it's not hard. I'll show I mean you. 
Kasai has a lot of three blocks that don't say attack action on them, and those are the kind of things that line up pretty well against Bolton usually. Yeah, but you know what Kasai doesn't have? She has everything. She doesn't have disruption. Not real disruption. Uh, you, you just said to put three commanded conquerors in all your warrior decks. Yeah, and you think uh, you can't block three commanded conquerors across the game while you're setting up combo? Because <laughs> I can stuff your combo too. She blocks really well. Nah, triple Lumina. Nobody's stuffing triple Lumina. Yep, that's no no argument there. Yeah, so you just you just wait till triple Lumina. I played a bunch of games into Shane and. Uh, after we both scrubbed and I showed him the way for how to beat, how Bolton beats Kasai. And I was just like, okay, I have a combo piece in Arsenal. I have a combo piece in hand. I'm going to intellect penalty myself for like three or four turns, play three card hands. It's just block nine as best as possible. And eventually I'll just draw a third combo piece and I'll win the game on the spot. And woohoo. Cool. How much damage is triple Lumina? Like 60, 40, 50. So if you're swinging six times six, it's not six times six it's six times eight yeah because sabers are base two and then you get three luminous up to five and then your gloves is plus one so Mm -hmm. six times eight 48 mm -hmm. damage 48 damage at base and then as so then if you just get like a little like a little bit of chip damage or you get them down from there and then they're starting to force to block you and then you're bringing them down to your bolton level of being like okay show me how well you can play two card hands and because doesn't play two card hands super well they're it's okay but like not that great and then eventually you'll just get over the edge especially if you keep a beacon in your deck after triple triple lumina you just win the game on the spot because you could just like beacon for 20 or whatever and they die but even without it you usually should have as unless you mill actual every single power card in your deck and even then it's sometimes winnable but like via the vanguard celestial cataclysms you should just have enough gas to be able to deal like five or six points of damage at the end of the game hmm. i i'd be interested because you can do the trick where is it okay if I talk about how to beat Bolton on the on the podcast? Sure. The the trick where like you you let each Lumina sword hit you for one damage, and then if you're then eight attacks with three cards going away each attack, that's twenty four cards. Or you look at the top three cards. That's if the game's been going on long enough, that that could realistically just get all of your um, all of your beacons and some most of your other good cards. Mm-hmm. I, I could see a world where it's fatigable if you're waiting. If it depends how long you have to wait for triple loop enough. You find it on like turn like six or something, then it's, no, then like that's not going to do it. But yeah, and if Kasai starts putting in like a cyborg package of like three sigils or something like that to like gain life while she's putting on pressure, I mm-hmm. could see it also being a lot worse. But I don't know, and that's not where how they're being built at the moment but as long as they continue to not be able to meaningfully do more than like 15 damage a turn and they're not gaining extra life the matchup should be very good for bolton yeah that that, that makes sense i think kasai is going to have this problem she's not able to like like she has to play yellows in her deck to turn on her hero ability and if you're just like letting your opponent keep a four card hand and their hand has like is drawing a decent amount of yellows then like it's hard for them to really go significantly above rate with yellows that aren't like broken cards and blood in her hands can be really good if you have the copper tokens, but it's hard to get all the copper tokens against an opponent that's blocking you out. And uh, raisin army is also a strong yellow, but you have to again, be hitting and get your gold generation for that. And the gold generation like is reliant on you having already got yellows in your discard. So I think it is pretty hard for Kasai to go significantly above rate and her hero power requiring you to play yellows and there not being a lot of good yellows is rough yeah so we'll see maybe i'm crazy maybe I, maybe she is actually just the best warrior and everybody will prove me wrong but although now i just kind of want to throw three sigils of solace in kasai and call it a day and maybe it is the best deck <laughs> i i would say kasai is also one of the decks i am more than one percent to play at the pro tour i do think she could be she could be good and Definitely some work to be done there. We only have six weeks, though, so I don't know if I'll have time to explore everything I'm interested in exploring. It kind of depends how much time I have to play Constructed in Flesh and Blood and how much other people on the team are working on things that I'm interested in, too. Kasai's not very good into... Or Katsu's not very good into Kasai, because Katsu is the other hero that I was like, he just got that cool new blue Majestic. I wonder if anybody's put in a lot of work on him, and it doesn't seem like there's, like, just under 6,000 games right now on Talishar for him, and he's at sub 50, he's at 49%. I, 
I think that Katsu's in a weird spot where oh, he's like Jesus. He's got a twenty six percent win rate into Victor. I would not have expected that. Yeah, I I think I think Katsu is like pretty bad against Guardians in general. They just have so much armor, they block really well, and then he does not he doesn't want to block their attacks and their attacks say your your stuff doesn't work if you don't block it. Mm-hmm. Like Spinal Crush against Katsu is really good. Even if you're just like playing Victor and not Bravo, Spinal Crush is really good. Um debilitates fine. Choke Slam's also very good, just turns off a lot of Katsu. All basically all the combo stuff gains power and Choke Slam stops that. So I think Katsu has a pretty big Guardian problem. One of his other issues is that he can get fatigued by Guardians too. And I think it's less now that Oldheim's gone, but it still comes up where you just like start drawing these blue clumps because the game's been going on long enough. You shuffle all your blues that you pitch back into your deck and then you're just drawing too many blues. And the new Majestic helps with that because you can just play it and give all your stuff plus one. But if you don't banish a combo card with it, then you just spend a whole card for a few plus ones and you're probably not getting three points of value out of it. For sure. So I think that just about covers Classic Constructed. Do you want to talk about a little bit of our limited prep? You know, we've both been battling in the Runaways draft queues. Yeah, I haven't, I don't think I've done a draft since I got back from Hartford. I have spectated and backseated a lot of drafts, though. I love telling people what to do and just watching them. When things don't work out, I'm like, oh, you clicked the buttons. It is not my fault. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, I, I still really like this limited format. How, how are you feeling about it? Uh, it's interesting how, at least in the runaways queues, and I feel like people's perceptions of the limited format has pretty dramatically shifted, I would say, from about a month ago when the set came out to now, where... I think first people were really low on warriors and our secret going into the calling was like warriors are really, really good. They get all these block threes. You can block the best and warrior out of any class, like try to play warrior if possible, try to draft warrior if possible. Like they have usually if drafted at the usual rates of three three two three warriors three brutes two guardians warriors tend to have one of the higher floors of all the classes mm-hmm. now draft odds are like five warriors like every, <laughs> everybody's drafting warriors man it's like five three one and like the one guardian's just like i have like 41 cards and all my pieces of equipment and like i have no two blocks in my deck and you're dead and it's like oh well uh here's my yellow agile engagement is this good is this good enough to win a game no please here's my 17 power red concuss overpower (laughs) you're dead it's like okay i'm lucky so guardians i think have the perception of being borderline unplayable at least in the runaway skews because i have seen many 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 drafts now i think like 10 drafts i've done in the past like week or so where it's just been like one to two guardians at max it used to be a pretty heavily drafted class and now people are just off it man they they have nobody has any interest in drafting guardian you can get like red concuss like pick seven in like packs and it's like okay what 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 is happening here this card's broken like and like i've seen draft decks with like four red concusses in it it's like okay i don't know how you ever beat that but good luck yeah, I, I think Guardians definitely are the weakest of the the three classes, but Draft draft has this magic of being self-correcting, where if something's the best, then the most people are going to draft it, and something's the worst, something's the worst, the least people are going to draft it. And a lot of formats, like we talk about how a pod should be like 3-3-2 or 2-2-2-2 or whatever, depending on the format. Um, and like Monarch was really interesting because I think a draft supported three prisms pretty comfortably but no more than two of the other classes. So if a pod was three, two, two, one, whatever that one was, was going to have a really good deck and everyone else's deck was probably going to be fine because the pod supports three of them and two of each other thing. So um, in this format, I do think that three warriors, you're usually pretty comfy, comfortable playing warrior, but four warriors, that's a, that's a pretty big problem. And if you're the only guardian, then 
you're going to be really hooked up. Because I think the pod can comfortably support two guardians. I think if there's two guardians, your decks are going to be comparable to the classes that have three of each thing. If you're the only guardian, then... Ooh, your deck's broken. That's, yeah, you're, yeah. You win the pod. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, like, it comes down to play skill a lot. And if it is five warriors and there's only two brutes, which I think a pod comfortably supports three brutes too. So if there's only two brutes, their decks yeah, are going to be quite good as well. Yeah, yeah that's true. So... Yeah, I think brutes are a little underdrafted. I think overall, they still like. I still see a lot of like three. Some I've seen a couple four brute pods, four three one, but uh, it's very rare to see a lot, a lot of brutes. I think they're drafted at about the right rate, but it's still interesting to see people's card evaluations. I think are still a little bit skewed. And I think the last big level up I had in the format was thanks to you when you were like, oh yeah, just play all of the tests block cards. Like they're just all really good because like the math is just like you get the zero for four and sure, sometimes your opponent gets a benefit, but a, a lot of the time there's going to be ties and sometimes you'll get the benefit. So it all kind of like, even if it slightly favors your opponent, it's still not enough of a downside to to have it not be worth running like this really good blocking efficient card in your deck and i was like oh because i was really scared to put them in my deck before i was like i don't want to give my opponent an agility token i don't want to give them a gold that's uh, they're gonna draw a card that's broken i i, I gave that to, i don't want to do that but then you're like oh yeah but, but then i like stuffed their big dumb overpowered attack block for four and then they cracked their gold and drew like blue rising speed and attacked me for three it's like oh okay i'm glad i blocked for four yeah, that, that's a, a weird combination because I think overpower is a guardian mechanic and they can't play rising speed in a guardian deck. But anyway. Uh, you could play the, what's the majestic that gives your next attack you wager plus three and overpower or the down but not outs. Oh, double down. Yeah, double down, double down yeah, yeah, and down right, but not right. outs. So there you go. Yep, that's fair, that's fair. I was just like, overpower is the guardian thing, but there are non-guardian ways to do it. So yeah, I think... Just touching on the clash or not the test cards again. So if your opponent getting the token is worth one point for them, which in general it is, I think agility token, sometimes you can argue that it's worth two. Um, occasionally it'll be worth three, but that's really rare. And that's usually if you're not attacking them afterwards. But if you have a test card to block with, you're probably not blocking with your whole hand. You're probably getting saved a few cards. So like, even if you give them an agility token, you're probably hitting them and giving them a real, it's not going to be worth three or four points. About. It'll be worth maybe two. A lot of the times it's still just worth one, but Anyway, when you clash and your opponent wins a clash, if it's worth one value, then your card got three points on defense. Three points is not a good card, but that's the worst case scenario usually. So when you tie the clash, you just got four points of value out of a card. Getting four points of value out of a card, that's that's really good. That's that's scar for a scar turned on. Boom, four points of value. Um, that's just like what constructed decks are trying to do a lot of the time constructed decks don't go much higher than an average of four points of value per card and doing that in a limited deck great and then if you win the token then you're getting five points of value out of your block card that's that's so strong that's so strong so like even if your opponent wins twice as often as you which i think i guess if you're a warrior and you have let's say let's say you have zero attacks in your warrior deck then you're losing the clash probably whatever percent of your opponent's deck is attacks versus not attacks. It's probably like 70, 30 or something. Then 70% of the time they're getting the token, 30% of the time you're tying. That's still averaging 3.3 of value for your red, which is which is a good deal. And your odds of winning a clash or tying a clash are usually reasonably better than your opponent winning 70% of the time and the other 30% you tying. Because you're usually going to have some good attacks in your warrior deck. You're going to play like some of the red three for sevens. You're probably going to have some of your blues be attacks. So... Yeah. yeah. I also really like, I was also scared to put the clashes in my deck for the same reason, like clash on my clash of agility. Uh, I've gotten much higher on those, less on yellow, but red and blue, because blue, it's a blue block three, you know, attack, it's still good. And being a two cost three block, uh, six powered attack is really good because it allows you to pitch a blue and then play any of the lead widths to go with it. And then your mm -hmm. three card, well, I nine on the attack nine plus the token plus the token. Yeah. So like three card tanning, whatever. So, uh, just really, really, uh, efficient cards that I've been trying to scoop up a lot higher if than when I start seeing them in drafts now. Yeah. I, I think in warrior, they usually end up being like blocking for like 2.5 ish. Cause your opponent's getting the token more than you probably a little bit more than that. That's probably like a 2.6, 2.7 ish, but like 
that's still a lot better than a two block and the fact that they are the the L, the the class type so they will come combine with the lead with cards really nicely makes them like in my opinion generally better than like rally the rear guard which is another card that's kind of like a 2.5 block because it turns a two block into a three block and blocks for two right yeah i, I kind of value them around the rally but i also see people being pretty low on rally now as well which is interesting to me um but I guess most of the time, I'm, when I'm using Rally, I'm still trying to attack with it. And I don't see a lot of people trying to attack with Rally the Rear Guard. Yeah. I, I At red specifically. It being a generic makes it kind of awkward that it doesn't pair with the lead with cards. But in Warrior specifically, having an agility token just going like sword into Rally is great. Yeah. When I, do, I will say, when I get my first red Rally the Rear Guard, I will prioritize a red money where your mouth is a little bit higher because it does pair with that. So just something to keep in mind. But I love this draft format. It's sick. I love it. Um, I'm doing fairly well in it overall. I was crushing it for a while, and then there was the Great Warrior Reckoning, and I didn't adjust well enough in enough of my drafts where I have train wrecked a couple of like five warrior. I've been the fifth warrior in a pod once now, and I can tell you uh, your deck's not very good. So don't be the fifth warrior. <laughs> great advice don't be the fifth warrior that's the hot take podcast advice everybody needs is don't be the class that's overdrafted in your draft pod you're welcome yeah i think a couple of weeks ago we talked about how a guardian really needed like some bombs to really like compete with the other classes if you're the only guardian in your pod you're gonna get hooked up with those guardian bombs you're gonna get the rare equipment you're gonna get like the power cards that are coming to you you're gonna be able to really maximize the efficiency of your deck between the choices between reds and blues to minimize the amount of yellows you're gonna have to play in your deck uh you're gonna get more three like uh i was watching you hot on his arsenal pass video he did and he was breaking down like the black block values per class and the worst blocking class is brute because they have no blocks um but guardians aren't much better and that's also because they have that aura that blocks for two at rare and that actually brings down their block value quite a bit just because that takes up so many of their rare slots and that's i think the only rare card that blocks for two aside from wage gold gold yeah um which is pretty crazy like that card had to have gotten nerfed at some point in development because uh it's very bad <laughs> like, if that's in your rare slot you're like oh no please and not this and even like i've like it's just so bad you're not even happy to play it at blue because it's still blocking for two it's at least a two block on attack action that's like the best it like the version of the card and like okay but anyways, long story short, uh, Guardians on average don't block as well as Warriors in particular who have the best blocking cards. But that changes when there's four Warriors in a pod, three or four Warriors and two to one Guardians. Then they're then the average block value shifts in the Guardians' favor, actually. So that was a really interesting tidbit from his video. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I still need to watch that video, so I'll have to go check it out. Yeah, it was really good, really informative. I've drafted a couple times with Yuha now. I actually just played him in a draft game earlier. He played a Victor deck, and I had a Betsy deck, and I uh, beat him up. Nice, nice. I do think Betsy is generally pretty good against Victor. Bomb dependent, of course, but yeah, and that is how many defense cards you have. Yeah, and how many block cards and gold generators you have and all that jazz, but yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. When both heroes are not very good at using their hands very efficiently, sometimes just like sending overpower, he can only block with one card, then what is he going to do with his three-card hand? Yeah. Uh, if, he, if he has a block card of course it's fine but. yeah but i think i really prioritize lead with heart i think it's that one the bigger uh, one yeah either i guess lead with might's also very good basically you want the red leads to pair with like your concusses or your uh commanding presences and what's really nice about lead with bigger is you really only have to play the first one before because once you have the vigor token then you can play your next one off that vigor token and then pitch a blue and then attack with your next three cost attack and then the next turn you'll have that vigor token to play your next pump and it just kind of creates this nice little self-perpetuating cycle that really starts smoothing out your hands but yeah it doesn't always line up that way and they are two blocks so i don't know but i've been really liking that gameplay loop recently yeah makes sense uh 
I mean, especially if you're ending up in decks with like four four red concuss, you just like want anything that pumps your attack. And if you're chaining these bigger tokens into lead with and letting you play a pump spell plus the concuss off a single blue, that sounds really, really strong. For sure. Okay. But I think that's about all I have to say about the limited format at this moment. I'll probably keep doing drafts, keep trying to brush up on the different dynamics. Um, I've still yet to personally draft Reinar. I got really close really close to drafting Reiner. I got past his specialization, uh, but there was a red wage agility in that pack. So uh, I passed Reiner specialization. <laughs> Makes sense. Wait, wage agility is a good card. I like that card quite a bit. It's, I think Reiner is the hero that you're the least likely to end up in in general in a draft because like, well, there are times that it is correct to be Reiner over KO. Like Reiner specialization hat, isn't like a slam pick pushing you into that hero compared to like Olympia where like you'll be drafting a Kasai deck and then you see the Olympia hat and you're like, Oh, I'm Olympia now. Right. Whereas KO is the one that has the broken hat, the three block hat. So for sure. And even I would, and even KO specialization is at least just like a blue block three, non-attack action, like whatever. Cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's fine. basically textless, but yeah, but Reiner spec is just kind of a, a little awkward. It, it is very good if you like i did die to it once uh, a while ago yeah. and i was like oh I, I blocked with my whole hand and then it went up three and i was like oh no i have all these two blocks and if i block with all my two <laughs> blocks it goes up more i can't what this is broken and then i died yeah i i do think Reinar spec is is pretty good i think it's like also a real constructed card but um i don't know if i don't uh, think one percent of above one percent no. to play Reinar uh, pro tour sub one percent to play Reinar. above one percent to play the other two brutes though both of them are above one percent but not Reinar. i'm sorry Reinar. unlucky Reinar. just someday i will value intimidate someday but we're not there yet fair enough any final thoughts then buddy uh i love heavy hitters it's like I think it's the best that they've made in a really long time. So, yeah, I even posted the hottest take I've ever posted on Twitter, where I said, uh, "Flesh and Blood's a fun and enjoyable game." <laughs> I saw that tweet; it got a chuckle from me. So. Yeah, because I was like, "Everybody was always like, hot takes are always so negative. Nobody ever hot takes anything nice." And I was like, "I'm gonna hot take something nice. Check out this hot, nice take." Changing the game. That's how you know it's a real hot take. Because once you know that a hot take is going to be negative, then it's not really a hot take. It's just a negative take. But once you start getting positive hot takes, then it's just like, hmm, that's the real big brain content that I want to be responsible for now. Uh, so so the fact that it's not what is expected from a hot take is what makes it a hot, hot take. Exactly. See? It's not just a take, though. Definitely not. Not just a take. No. That, that, that takes are just like neutral like i'm breathing right now that's a take okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad you're breathing i feel like that is a positive but yeah and uh, my next I take mean- is uh i'm gonna wrap up the podcast now so the next time you're making a take always remember mind your manners thanks for watching and, and on.